My name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors on staff here, and I'm really excited to dive into part two of a series we started last week called The Gift Exchange. And if you weren't here last week, let me encourage you to go check that out. Um, Tim did an amazing job at talking about how we can exchange our worry for God's peace. And if you're tuning in online today, we want to say thank you for checking us out. Please send us a a shout out. Let us know where you're watching from, and you can connect with us at theepicchurch.com. And uh, we would just love to know um, who you are today, okay? Um, So I just want to say a very special thank you um, uh, to Tim Jones for last week. Um, As he kicked off this particular series, um, he was just so transparent and just so open with us. And I believe that's the way we ought to be with each other. And Tim just did an amazing job. And it made me feel a whole lot better about what I felt like God wanted me to share. Uh, Because um, I've known for about eight weeks or about six weeks now that I was going to be teaching today. And, um, and, and so I felt like, all right, I got some time to prep. I got some time to pray. I got some time to think. I got some time to read. And I need to do that kind of stuff to pull this kind of thing off. And uh, so I just felt really good about the time frame and everything. But every time I would sit down to try to start hammering out um, something I felt like God wanted me to say, I just never could get any peace about it. I, I never could um, gain any traction with any particular thought or anything like that. And I didn't realize and understand what God was wanting me uh, to do in my life so that I could share what he wanted me to share today until week one of the Detour series, which is a series that we did just prior to the gift exchange. And if you did not get the entirety of the Detour series, let me encourage you to go back and check those out. You can do that online. And uh, it was just an amazing series. And God wanted me to tune into that series so that I could be able to share what I feel like he wants me uh, to share today. And that's not the way that I would have planned it. Uh, That certainly was not my plan, but we're just going to kind of roll with it. We're going to go with it because God taught me some things in the detour series that I think are going to be very helpful to all of us today because I've had to work out some of that stuff in my life uh, over the last six weeks or so. Um, You see, me and my family are, are on a detour in our life right now. And I want to talk to you a little bit about some seasons of sadness that, that I've experienced in my life so that we can understand how we can exchange our sadness for God's joy. And that's going to kind of be um, our, our, our talk today. If I could title today's talk, it would be this right here. It would be exchanging our sadness for God's gladness. Another way to say that would be exchanging our sorrow for God's joy. And what we're talking about in the gift exchange series is how we can learn uh, to exchange some of the difficult seasons of our life. And Tim talked about our worry last week for God's peace. And today we're going to talk about how we can exchange our sadness or our sorrow for God's joy. And I want to begin today in Luke chapter 2, which is, as far as I'm concerned, is the classic Christmas story in all of Scripture. And right here at Christmas time, I think it has something really, really important to say to us about this idea of of joy. So I want to begin in Luke chapter 2. We're going to read verses 1 through 7 here for just a second. And then we're going to dive into this idea of how we can learn how to exchange our sadness for God's joy. Okay, so here's what the Bible says in Luke chapter 2 in verse number 1. It says, at 
that time. Now, that time is the time of the Roman Empire, all right? They were the dominant world power at that particular time. And that's important to know and understand so that we understand the context of everything that's happening at this particular event in history. So it says, at that time, the Roman Emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the entire Roman Empire. And this was the first census taken when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all returned to their ancestral towns to register for this census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. And he traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. And he took with him Mary, whom he was engaged, with to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him uh, snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. Now, you and I have a different perspective today, some 2,000 years removed from this particular event in human history. So we have a totally different perspective on this. And the perspective that we can look at is that this is the moment when God stepped out of heaven and stepped into this world and became a man. We know him as Jesus. And what's amazing to me about the God of the Bible and about the God of Christianity is that he doesn't run away from our mess. He steps into our mess. And maybe when everybody else in our world is running away from our mess and our difficulty and our sorrow, God says, I'm willing to step into your mess and show you how to get through what you're going through. But in Mary and Joseph's day on this particular night, we need to know and understand that this would have been a very sorrowful time in their life. This would have been a a season of of sadness in in their life. And let me explain why. As Jews living under the, uh, the Roman Empire at this particular time in history, if you know anything about the history of the Roman Empire, you know that they basically ruled the day with an iron fist and a strong arm. And they browbeat everybody and anybody who challenged them uh, into submission. And that included the Jews of the day who were living under the rule and the reign of the the Roman Empire. So it was a very uh, oppressive time within the nation of Israel because Rome dominated the the, the world at that particular time. It was also a season where Mary and Joseph would have been shunned by society that they lived in because she was pregnant out of wedlock. And Joseph would have been expected to break off the engagement, to not to have anything to do with Mary because she's pregnant outside of wedlock. But God uh, spoke to Joseph, as Tim talked about last week, and, and Joseph chose to do the right thing. And he chose to walk this journey out with Mary. And because Joseph chose to do the right thing and because Mary chose to, uh, to accept what God was doing in her, they would have been shunned by society because they just didn't really believe their story. And they would kind of been outcasts. And you can imagine a young couple facing marriage and life all alone under the, the, the domain of the, of the Roman Empire. It's about a 90-mile trek from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Ladies, if you've 
you've had children, you'll get what this is like. But can you imagine your husband dropping you off in South Jacksonville on I-95 and say, I'll see you in Daytona in about three days. I'll pick you up. Have a nice hike. That's what it would have been like for Mary, nine months pregnant, uh, to walk 90 miles or so to Bethlehem to be obedient to what the Roman Empire said that they had to do. And the Bible narrative tells us that while she was there, she actually gave birth to Jesus. So let me ask you a question as we begin today. Have you ever been in a season of sadness in your life? Can I just see your hand this morning? All right, so, so I got my hand up too because I'm gonna do my best to try to share with you what God's been doing in my life over the last six weeks or so as I've experienced a new season of sadness in my life. And if that's where you're at today, I wanna encourage you uh, with what we're gonna look at scripture that, that God's gonna use it today and we're all gonna learn something so that we can exchange our sorrow for God's sadness. I don't know what your season of sadness is. Maybe for some of you, it's divorce. Maybe for some of you, it's a job loss. Maybe for some of you, it's a wayward child. Maybe for you, it's a physical injury that you never expected in your life, and now you're limited physically and not able to do the things that, uh, that you used to do. Uh, maybe, uh, maybe for some of you, it's, a, uh, it's an emotional pain or maybe even a physical pain that you experience at the hands of somebody who has abused you emotionally or physically at some point in time in your life. There are all kinds of different seasons of sorrow that we experience in, in our life. And, and, and I want us to help us understand how that we can experience joy in those seasons of sadness. Let me give you a little bit of a backstory of my life since I'm kind of new to Epic and uh, if you backtrack to the spring of 2003, uh, my father, his name is Richard, turned 58 years old. He's born um, uh, on March the 27th. So on March the 27th of 2003, uh, uh, my father uh, celebrated his 58th birthday. Uh, shortly after that, my father just got to where he wasn't feeling well and didn't do very good and and uh, just kind of kept going downhill. And what you have to know and understand about my dad is that um, he was my hero. He was Superman as far as I concerned. He was always a picture of health. He was a hard worker. He taught us how to work. And, and, and uh, uh, he just had all the answers to everything. And I thought that there was nothing that, uh, that, that could slow him down or there was nothing that can stop him. But he finally got to a point where he had to go see a doctor. When he went to see a doctor, they sent him to a hospital. And the day that he went to the hospital and the tests that they ran and, and, and all the things they put him through, at the end of the day, at 58 years old, the doctor said, Mr. Mr. Baker, you have stage four lung cancer and it's advanced and there's no cure and there's really nothing that I can do for you except offer you some experimental treatment that is available. Uh, but if you choose not to do any treatment at all, you've probably got just a few months to live. And our world fell in, fell in and we were crushed and we were sad and we were sorrowful because what you need to understand is my father had really not been sick much in his life at all. He had never spent a day in the hospital until the day he was diagnosed. He never smoked a cigarette uh, since a teenager, and he did that casually because that's just what you did in the 50s. He never worked around chemicals, asbestos, 
Uh, those things that we know today are, are, are cancer-causing, but at 58 years old, he found out that he had stage four lung cancer, and it was a tremendous season of sorrow that we went through. God was gracious to him, though, because he actually lived about a year and a half. He chose some of those treatments, and I saw God do some amazing things in him and through him in that, in that year and a half. But on November the 29th and 2004, my family, I have an older brother, a younger sister, my mom, our extended family, uh, we gathered around my father's bedside who, who was in hospice care at that particular time in his home. And I was sitting to his left. My uncle was sitting across dad's bed to his right. And I held my father's hand on November the 29th in 2004 when he breathed his last breath and slipped off into eternity. It was a holy moment for me. Because in the midst of that sadness, in the midst of that sorrow, I had a hope of knowing that because of my father's relationship with Jesus, he had just entered, opened a doorway called death and stepped into his permanent home for all of eternity. Just a few days later on December the 2nd in 2004, I did probably the hardest thing I've ever had to do in my life. And I stood in front of his casket and I preached his funeral. And I distinctly remember after everybody kind of left and Everybody started going home and we finished the meal and spending time with extended family and friends that uh, there was this conversation that we had as a family in the living room of their home in North, in North Carolina. And it went something kind of like this. What do we do now? Where do we go from here? The last thing we would ever imagine or dreamed it would be at 59 years old, my father uh, life on this side of eternity would end. And I'm not sure exactly who it was, but I think it was my sister, Christy, um, who kind of said, you know what? We basically have two choices. Uh, we can turn our back on everything that we believe and know that we've been taught to be right and true and good. And we can let dad's death make us bitter or we can choose to believe what we know and allow God's death to make us better. And if you were here for the detour series, that's, that's one of the principles that we learned. And, and I needed to hear that again at this particular season of, uh, uh, of my life. And I can stand here before you today and tell you that 15 years removed from that season of sorrow in my life, that season of sadness in my life, I'm a better man, I'm a better father, I'm a better husband, I'm a better pastor, and I'm a better leader because I went through that season. And I can stand here before you today and honestly say I'm thankful for that season of sorrow. Because I'm convinced that God does some of his greatest work when we're in those seasons of sadness and sorrow. Amen. And many of you have testified today that maybe you're, you're, you're there or you've been there. And if you're not there or been there, I can promise you that there's a season coming like that. And here's what I want to encourage you with today, all right? God can and will and wants to do something amazing during that season. And what God chooses to do is to step into our sadness and bring us through what we are going through. Here's something else I've learned along my journey. It's okay not to be okay, but it's not okay to stay that way. 
It's okay not to be okay, but it's not okay to stay that way. And joy is one of the things that God gives us to help us get through what we're going through. So what I hope for us today is that we learn how to exchange our sadness for God's gladness, how to exchange our sorrow for God's joy and experience that joy that we sang about a moment ago that literally is joy to the world. So let's pick up the story back in Luke chapter two and verse number eight. In verse number eight, it says that night, the night that Jesus was born, the night that God stepped into humanity, the night that God stepped into our sorrow and into our pain. It says that night there were shepherds staying in the field nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. And suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them and they were terrified. But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid, he said. And then listen to what he says. Listen to the announcement. He says, I bring you good, jo- good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. It's amazing to me that God chose to make the announcement about the birth of Jesus to a bunch of shepherds tending sheep out in the farmland. He didn't go to the Roman Empire and announce his birth of his son to the king. He didn't go to the tabernacle and announce the birth of his son to the high priest or the religious leaders of the day. He went out to where the people who were experiencing the most hurt and sorrow and pain and difficulty in life. And he said, I've got good news. And if I could paraphrase a little bit of verses eight through, uh, through, through 11 there, I think it would go something like this when the angel showed up on, on the countryside that day. Hey, boys. Maybe girls, I don't know if they had lady shepherds back then, but, but, but hey boys, I know life is tough. And I know things are really hard right now, living under the rule and the reign of the, of the Roman Empire. And I know tending sheep is not the most glamorous job and, you, and you're struggling to make ends meet and you're just trying to do the best you can to make it day after day and week after week and month after month and, and year after year. But here's what I want you to know tonight. Tonight in Bethlehem, there's somebody who is going to be born, and that somebody is the Son of God, and he's going to model for you how you can get through what you're going through. He's going to model for you how you can experience joy in the midst of your sadness, and he's going to help you get through what you're going through. And see, that's what joy does. Joy is what God gives us to help us get through what we're going through. It's interesting to me that in in verse number 10 there, when the angel made the announcement, he said, don't be afraid, I bring you good news that will bring great joy. What he did not say is I bring you good news that will bring great happiness to all people. You see, there's a big difference between happiness and joy. And I want to unpack that for you for just a minute, okay? Uh, because if we can get this today, this really changes how we look at those seasons of sadness and sorrow that we go through, all right? Happiness, on one hand, depends on the things that happen to us. It depends on the circumstances that are going on in our life. We can say it this way, happiness is external, Because it has to do with all the circumstances and events that are going on in our life. And it's easy to be happy 
when you get the promotion, isn't it? It's easy to be happy when you get the raise that you've been after. It's easy to be happy when you're getting along with your husband or your wife or your children. It's easy to be happy when they're obedient and making good grades. It's easy to be happy when they're making right choices and good decisions. It, it, it's easy to be happy when the car's running right, right? It's easy to be happy when you got a date on Friday night, all right? It's easy to be happy when the sun's shining and the rent's paid. Why? Because of our external circumstances are good. And when our external circumstances are good, man, we're riding on cloud nine. But we know that sooner or later, we don't get to stay there, do we? There are moments of sadness. There are moments of sorrow. And what God wants us to understand in his word is that joy is something that he gives us that helps us to get through what we're going through. It's interesting to me that in Galatians chapter five, which is the classic passage of scripture of the, of the fruit of the spirit, the things that God wants to work out in our lives as we live our lives in relationship with him. And it's here found here in Galatians chapter five. It says this, but the Holy Spirit, that's the third person of the Trinity, the Godhead, produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, what's number two? Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. You know what's not on that list? Happiness. It's not there. It didn't make, it didn't make the cut when it comes to the things that God, when it comes to the things that God wants to work out um, in our life as we live our life in relationship with him and experience the things that we experience in our life. On the flip side, joy is totally different. Whereas happiness is external, Joy is internal. Uh, joy has to do, if I could give you a simple definition of joy, it would be this right here. Joy is a God-given inner strength that turns our sadness into gladness. It's a God-given inner strength that turns our sadness into gladness. Uh, joy is never touched by external circumstances. When all those things Go bad, joy is never touched by external circumstances. Jesus himself is the greatest model of this. And I want to read to you a few verses out of John chapter 16 and John chapter 17, because in the most sorrowful, sad time that Jesus ever experienced on, on planet earth, when he was here in his earthly ministry, he talked a lot about joy. And the reason he talked a lot about joy is so that you and I could have a clear understanding of how God uses joy in our life to help us get through what we're going through. And in the most sorrowful, sad season of Jesus's earthly life, just before he's about to be arrested by the Roman centurions, and just before he's about to be nailed to a cross, and just before he's about to give his life for the sins of humanity, and he knows what he's about to face. Because he's all God and he knows everything about what he's about to experience. And the Bible says that he had to take some time to go spend time with the father in the garden of Gethsemane. And he took some of his disciples with him. And one of the main things that Jesus did was help his disciples understand this idea of joy. And listen to what he says in John chapter 16, uh, starting uh, uh, in about verse number 20. He says, I tell you the truth, talking to his disciples, he says, you will weep and mourn over what is going to happen to me, 
but the world's going to rejoice. You will grieve, but your grief will suddenly turn to wonderful joy. It will be like a woman. And he gives an illustration. He says, it will be like a woman suffering the pains of labor. And when her child is born, her anguish, her sorrow, her sadness gives way to joy because she has brought a new baby into the world. So you have sorrow now, he says, but I will see you again. Then you will rejoice and look here and no one can rob you of that joy. And at that time, you won't need to ask me for anything. I tell you the truth. You will ask the father directly and he will grant your request because you use my name. You haven't done this before. Ask using my name and you will receive and look here and you will have abundant joy. See, Jesus is saying, guys, what I'm about to go through, there's no way you can understand or explain it, but it's going to cause deep grief in your, in your life because I got to go away. I got to give my life for the sins of humanity. But in the midst of that sadness, you're going to experience a joy that, that you cannot even imagine or explain. And it's going to help you get through what you're going through. Because Jesus made a promise in chapter 16 and verse 33, and we know this to be true. If you have any life experience at all, here's what Jesus said. I have told you all this so that you would have peace in me here on this earth, on this side of eternity. Look at what he says. You will have many trials and what? Sorrows. We know that's true. You will have many trials and sorrows, but it doesn't stop there. He says, but take heart because I have overcome the world. And then in John chapter 17, just a few verses later, he turns his attention from the disciples and he turns his attention to the father. And he begins to pray and have a conversation with the father about this season of sadness and sorrow that he's going through. And listen to what he says in verse number 13, talking to God, the father, he said, father, now I am coming to you. I told them, talking about the disciples, many things while I was with them in this world. Why? So that they would be filled with joy. And here's what Jesus, I think, is saying. And this is what I think we need to understand today in the seasons of sadness that we find ourselves in. It may not be okay right now, but it's going to be okay eventually. It may not be okay right now, but it's going to be okay eventually. Let me finish my story, if I can, for just a minute by showing you a picture of my mom. It's my mom, Phyllis, in New York City last year, about this time of year. She likes to travel. Isn't she a pretty lady? And um, uh, my mom's 73 years old. And her name is Phyllis, and she lives in Fort Mill, South Carolina. So let me fast forward from September 2003 or uh, excuse me, from 2003 and my father's story to, to September just a couple of months ago of 2019. While we were making our transition to Epic and coming on staff and kind of getting settled, and uh, I made a couple trips to South Carolina to visit my mom and to take the last few things to my boys who had already moved up there and settled in their new, their new home and their new jobs and careers and all that. And when I was there in September, my mom just wasn't feeling well the weekend that I was there the first go round. And she's had a history of uh, UTIs, urinary tract infections, and 
uh, hernias and those kind of things. Nothing major, but she just kind of has learned to recognize things in her body, and she just wasn't feeling well. And um, uh, uh, two weeks later, I went back to take the final load of things to my boys, and mom still wasn't any better. And a matter of fact, she was just getting worse, and she was having a hard time uh, just moving about and getting up and walking and breathing and, and, and just running out of stamina and all that stuff. So my sister and my brother, uh, we encouraged her to go to the doctor. And she got to a point to where it was necessary for her to, to go to the ER. And in early November, uh, my sister took her to the ER and they ran some tests. And at the end of that day, we got some more bad news. And the doctor said, Miss Baker, after running all the tests and scans and everything, um, It appears you have colon cancer, and it's pretty advanced, and we need to try to figure something out as quickly as we possibly can, and uh, made some suggestions, but you can imagine in that moment, here we are again, experiencing something that we never imagined we had ever experienced once, let alone twice. Mom had chemo two weeks after that um, that appointment or that, uh, that visit to the ER. She had uh, chemotherapy on November the 11th. And uh, we kind of knew that journey because we had been through that with our father. And, and uh, we kind of knew what some of the side effects and the causes of, of that were going to be. So we were just kind of buying our time, praying that God would just spare from anything that would just really knock her down and that kind of thing. But as it got toward the end of the week of November the 11th, this would have been about the 16th or the 17th, her fever just spiked. And for two and a half days, we just couldn't get it down. And she just got worse and worse and worse. And on November the 18th, my sister again put her in the car with my youngest son, Bradley. They drove her back to the emergency room because the doctor said, you need to get to the hospital as soon as you can. Let's find out what's going on. After running some more tests, it became evident and clear that the chemotherapy had caused a tear in her colon. And she literally was dying of poison. And we had about a 30-minute window um, to figure out what we were going to do. And the doctor said, Miss Baker, I need to get you in surgery immediately, like within the next 30 minutes. This is about 3.30 in the afternoon on November the 18th. Uh, excuse me, on November the 11th. Yeah, November the 18th. And I'm sitting in my office at the end of the day, having a conversation with my mother over the telephone that I never imagined or dreamed that I would ever have to have because the doctor said, Miss Baker, you're really sick. And if we don't do something soon, you're probably not going to make it. So I would suggest you, you, you get with your family and your children and uh, you share with them anything you want to share, say to them anything you want to say, and he encouraged us to do the same. And we kind of took our turns on speakerphone and, and, and we said what we needed to say and what we wanted to say. But it was a conversation I never imagined or dreamed that I'd ever have to have over telephone. It was an extreme, sad scenario. Within a couple of hours, I ran home, threw some stuff in a suitcase, grabbed Karen, and um, I packed my suit and my tie because I fully expected that before I got home from North Carolina that trip that I was probably going to have to preach her funeral too. And here's all I can tell you, um, that for the next 10 days, from the 18th or 19th of November until Thanksgiving morning when we brought her home for the hospital, was one of the hardest, saddest, 
seasons of my life, but it was one of the most joy-filled experiences I've ever got to experience in my life. If you've ever slept in a, in a hospital room on a couch or a chair that they provide for you, you know it's not fun. I did that for 10 days. And I had amazing help from my sister and my brother and, and our children and, and, and everything. But it was hard, hard 10 days. And I, I had to watch my mom not be able to do things for herself that she's always been able to do for herself. And I had, I had to do things for her that I never imagined or dreamed I would have to do uh, as a child at, 50, at 49 years old. But I can tell you it's one of the most joy-filled experiences that I've ever had in all of my life. And I'm going to tell you why in in, in just a minute. Um, I don't tell you this story to pat myself on the back. I wouldn't wish it on on anybody. I don't tell you this story uh, so that you will feel sorry for me or my family or anything. Please don't. But what I do want to say to you is thank you so much for engaging with us. So many of you have have been praying for my mom and and been praying for our family. And I am convinced it's the reason why she made it through surgery that night. It's the reason why we were able to get through the 10 days in the hospital with everything that was going on. It's the reason why she's she's getting better uh, today. And it's still not okay. But you know what? We believe and know it's going to be okay. Because the joy of the Lord has been our strength. So I just want to share with you what I learned uh, over the last few weeks of, of working through this journey and this season of sadness in my life. There's three very important principles that I think we all need to get today. And the first thing I learned is this right here. Joy isn't given to us to help us to remove our pain or our sadness. It's given to us to help us to bear it. God doesn't give us joy to remove us from the situations that we go through. God gives us joy to help us bear it. The second thing I learned is that you experience joy when you make Jesus your first priority instead of your last resort. Aren't we guilty of that? Even the most seasoned Christ followers that I know, at times when we face seasons of sadness and sorrow, we're guilty of of Jesus being our last resort instead of our first priority. In those 10 days in the hospital, my mom would say things like this when we got up in the morning. She'd say, Brian, let's read our devotional. Brian, let's open the YouVersion app and and let's let's read part of that reading plan that, uh, that, that I've been reading. Let's put on some worship music and let's listen to some worship music. On Sunday, we got to watch Epic online and we worshiped together uh, uh, in, in the hospital bed. You know what we were doing? We were setting our hearts and our minds on Jesus. We were making Jesus our first priority instead of our last resort. In Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number two, here's what the Bible says. It says, we do this by keeping our eyes on who? On Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and now is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Philippians 4 and verse number 8 says, And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about the things that are excellent and worthy of praise. 
David said in Psalm 34 and verse number five, those who look to him for help will be radiant with what? With joy. No shadow of shame will darken their faces. And then Psalm 119 verse 92 says, if your instructions hadn't sustained me with what? With joy, I would have died in my misery. Here's the third thing I learned. You experience joy when you serve others more than you serve yourself. You experience joy when you serve others more than you serve yourself. I saw parts of my mom that I didn't think I'd get to see at at, at 50 years old. I washed and wiped parts of her that I never thought I'd have to do at 50 years old. But you know what I got to do? I got to serve my mom. Because for a lifetime, she served me. And I watched her serve my father for a year and a half when he was going through what he was going through. Uh, so, so what I've learned is that you experience joy when you serve others more than you serve yourself. And you know what happens? The joy of the Lord becomes your strength. My father preached a message back in the 80s. I hardly remember anything he ever preached in 35 years of ministry, but I remember this one message. He preached it to a group of teenagers who were graduating from high school in the mid-1980s, and he talked about a guy by the name of Nehemiah. And in Nehemiah chapter number 8, verse about number 10, Nehemiah talks about the joy of the Lord being your strength. But listen to what it says. It says, And Nehemiah continued, Go and celebrate with a feast of rich food and sweet drinks and share gifts of food with people who have nothing prepared. This is the sacred day before our Lord. Don't be dejected or sad. Look here, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. On Thanksgiving morning, just a few weeks ago, we brought mom home from the hospital. This is a picture of her on Thanksgiving morning. And uh, that's my brother and my sister. And there's Karen. Um, this, I fixed her some grits and eggs that morning. That's the first meal that she had of any solid food for over 10 days. Doesn't she look amazing? That's the, that's a testimony to the power of prayer. That's a testimony to, to the joy of the Lord being your strength. And if you want to experience joy this Christmas season, let me help you understand what it looks like real quick as we close today. If you take the word joy, here's what it means. It means Jesus has to be at the front of the line. Because the joy of the Lord is our strength. We have to serve others more than we serve ourselves. So what is joy? It's Jesus, it's others, and it's you. And when you get things in that, right, that order, the joy of the Lord becomes your strength. And I don't know if anybody else is watching online today, but I know my mom is watching today because she's my biggest fan. (laughs) And mom, it may not be okay right now, but it's going to be okay eventually because the joy of the Lord is our strength. Let's pray together if we can. God, you are good. And God, I thank you that you give us strength when we desperately need it. You choose to 
show up in the midst of our sorrow and sadness and do what we cannot do for ourselves. Um, So God, as we close today, we just want to bookend this service with amazing celebration of joy. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. So God, help us to lift our voices today to you. God, even though we're going through maybe a season of sadness and sorrow, we know and believe that the joy of the Lord is our strength. And God, what better season of the year to help us work this out in our life than at Christmas time to where we put you first because it's your birthday, to where we put others second because living a Christian life is all about serving others. And we just kind of bring up the rear because that's what we're supposed to do, knowing that you honor and bless faithfulness. So God, help us today celebrate with joy. And would you accomplish what only you can accomplish in our lives because we've chosen to gather together today to worship and celebrate you. For it's in these things I pray and ask in your name. Amen.